as folks are coming back in and finding where they're going to land, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts. Oh, not, not, not great, just not great. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. There it is. We love the Bible. Acts chapter 17 is where we are today. We are in this series called The Spirit-Filled Church. We want to learn what it meant so that we can live what it means. Now, I had great intentions uh, this week uh, in chapter 17 of the book of Acts. I wanted to proceed through 17. Uh, my intention was to, uh, tell, to tell the tale of three cities. Uh, well, that didn't work. So we're just going to do the first nine verses in chapter 17, Paul's ministry in, uh, in uh, Thessalonica. Here's the one sentence that we'll start with today. One thing that I hope you'll take with you that will encourage you that you can remember. Here it is. The Spirit-filled church turns the world upside right. She's not back yet. She'll be back in a minute. Oh, there she is. Yeah, she's right there. Yeah, I know you're hiding, Mom. Uh, here's the thing. My mom says things. Not all of them make sense. <laughs> she's going to race you. She says, one, two, four, seven, nine, un, 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 go. And growing up, I don't know where or why it came from, but, you know, if, if something was upside down and it needed to be fixed, Mom didn't say turn it right side up. She'd say turn that upside right. Upside right. Somebody said upside right. <laughs> what we're going to see today is that the Spirit-filled church turns the world upside right. Yeah. Now, let's do this in real time. We'll read, it. we'll read through the passage as we go. So the Spirit-filled church turns the world upside right because, first of all, the gospel has real power. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. Let's, we'll do it in real time. Here we go. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. So that they came from Philippi. They go through those two cities. They land in Thessalonica. That's about a 100-mile journey. They land in Thessalonica. This is a city of about 200,000 people. It's located on a major trade route. A major, the major trade route goes right through the middle of the city. It goes all from one side of Greece to the other. This is a huge strategic situation for Paul. And there is a Jewish population there enough that there, there is a synagogue as well. So verse 2, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days... He reasoned with them from the scriptures. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Would you say that out loud with me? He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Say it again, from the scriptures. From the scriptures. I might have a bit of an angst or a bit of a, a bit of a chip on my shoulder about that today. And it's a happy chip. He, from the scriptures, he opened the Bible and talked from the Bible, explaining and proving that Jesus had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, I am proclaiming to you, is the Messiah. He said, first of all, Paul always, or his, his pattern was to go first to the synagogues. 
the synagogue would have been the place that would have been the most fertile ground. It would have been the most flammable material. And even if doctrinally things were sideways, he was looking for faith. And God is always looking for faith. He meets us at our faith, responds to our faith. He will correct and fine-tune our doctrine along the way. But he does not wait. Woo! This is, I feel like it's important to say again. He does not wait for our doctrine to be pristine before he meets with us in person and power. He looks for our faith and meets, meets us there. And he reasons with them for three Sabbath days that Jesus, let's read that again. That's so important. He said, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and to rise from the dead. Would we just say those two things with me? The, the Messiah had to suffer and, and so he said, this Jesus is the Messiah. There were, he was emphasizing two things. He had to emphasize that Jesus did suffer, but also that he didn't stay suffered. He didn't stay that way. He rose from the dead. There were two schools of thought with regard to the messianic anticipation. One of them was, uh, and they kind of held, they kind of held onto both of them simultaneously, and they, although they didn't connect. One school of thought was, was, was called Messiah, son of Joseph. Joseph, meaning Joseph, the grandson of the patriarchs, Joseph in Egypt, Joseph who was betrayed, Joseph who was sold into slavery, Joseph who is falsely accused, Joseph who, is, who has the hard knocks life, ends up in prison, and yet in, through his suffering becomes, almost, becomes a, 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 a predecessor and an, a messianic figure. Through his suffering, there is a, there is a saving action for the people of God. Right? So Messiah, son of Joseph. But the other school, of course, is Messiah, son of David. And that is understanding David, the militant, the conquering king, the great king. That Messiah will, would be a, a powerful figure and a conquering figure. So you, had Messiah, you said Messiah, son of Joseph and Messiah, son of David. And you had both of these things. And the Old Testament clearly uh, describes or anticipates both. And so what Paul does is does, he doesn't say A or B. He says yes. He will suffer. The Messiah did suffer. He absolutely did. Jesus of Nazareth absolutely did suffer, but he also did conquer. He suffered on the cross, and he conquered by rising from the dead. This Jesus, he said, that I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Woo! And some of the Jews, verse 4, were persuaded. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Luke is good for this. Luke has been good for this since the Gospel of Luke. Luke is so good at things. But here's, here he is again. He is, he is telling his audience something, and he may have a, a whole other agenda for it, but irrespective, what he says is what he says. This is not tell, Luke is not telling us that a few prominent women whose husbands had decided to follow the gospel, that they decided that, that since their husbands did, they would too. He is saying that right from the beginning, that the gospel has affected and recruited and empowered women. That on their own, these women said, that sounds pretty good. I'm in, I'm in on that. And thank God they did, and thank God they still do. <laughs> Luke 
Luke affirms that Paul's ministry there in Thessalonica has success. We know that there is a church planted there. It's a significant church. It's a persevering witness and influence for the gospel. We know a little bit more, though, about Paul's ministry there because of the letter to the church in Thessalonica. The letters that's called Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, we have these epistolary records. And because we have them, we actually have a little bit more information about Paul's ministry there. Luke tells us, oh, Paul was there three Sabbaths, and, and he reasoned from the Scriptures. Someone say that again out loud. He, he reasons from the Scriptures. Oh, and there's good results. But Paul, he, he, he brings us closer. We hear a little bit more about what happened there when he got there. He says this. Uh, chapter 1, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you. Here's the deal. I think Paul was probably the most grateful guy in the Bible. Or if not, he at least modeled gratitude for us. And I'm amused at how many people want to have apostolic ministries and they want to emulate everything except for Paul's gratitude. <laughs> I just almost wonder if we could have a whole conference on gratitude. Three people would come. But they would become powerful after. We always thank God for you. Continue to mention, we remember you before our God and Father for your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, he has chosen you. Verse 5, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. And with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction, Paul, not only did he reason from the scriptures, he relied upon the Spirit. This is a great sentence for us to remember. Are we there yet, Jeremy, for to click that? No, keep going. There it is. Paul reasoned from the scriptures and relied upon the spirit. Would you say that sentence with me, please? Paul reasoned from the scriptures and when he says that the holy that his message was accompanied with power and the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, he's not necessarily trying to say these are three different things. He's not compartmentalizing. This is Paul who loves to speak in rhetoric terms. He loves to use threes and nines to explain or to emphasize. So we should not view this as Paul dissecting, but as emphasizing. Somebody's emphasizing. Well, what's, what is he emphasizing? He's saying our ministry came to you with the, we, he's, he's emphasizing, first of all, the Spirit's demonstrated power. That as he's reasoning from the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is demonstrating the power of God and the power of Christ's resurrection in their midst. Secondly, is he's, he's emphasizing the Spirit's personal presence. The gospel isn't just, it's, it's not an impersonal power. It's not a work of power that causes us to step back and to shriek. It's a demonstration of power that invites us to know that God is personally present with us. With a demonstration of the real, the vitality being brought into vital contact with the Holy Spirit. And finally, it emphasizes the Holy Spirit's direct influence upon the soul. 
He is present in power. He is present with his own personal presence. And those things have a direct influence upon the soul. There's a real transforming work as the Holy Spirit ministers. So he, re- he reasons from the scripture and relies upon the spirit. And there were results. Luke tells us some Jews, large number of Greeks, prominent women. But Paul tells us, he reminds the Thessalonians of the results in his letter. In chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Verse 13 says, And we also, oh, here he goes again, we also thank God continually. Man, I'd like for people to complain about me like that. He is just thanking God continually. Here he goes again, being grateful. We also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is the word of God. Would you say that with me? The word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. The gospel has real power. The word of God will make a difference. The Word of God works. It remains at work in those who believe. We reason from the Scriptures. We stay close to the book. Oh, there's, all, there's, there's every time, every time that the merry-go-round goes around and around, the trend, the trend-a-ground, the trend-a-round, whatever it is, the merry-go-round of trends and fads and whatever, and people always, there's always, it's not your fault, you came to church, you're happy, it's not your fault, but those who, who have responsibility, they, 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 they always want to change the subject, they just want to find a new way of trying to reach the world and say, you know, maybe we shouldn't use the Bible, maybe we should use, you know, cartoons or, you know, or rocks or paintings or the stars or whatever, and, or whatever, or popular literature, and they want to go after all these ways, and yet nothing Nothing ever works. We reason from the scriptures. It may seem foolish, but God has chosen the foolishness of his word to change the world. We reason from the scriptures and we rely upon the spirit. And when we do, there are powerful, lasting, and continuing results. There were in Thessalonica and there will be here. In fact, the gospel will turn the world upside right. Verse 5 says, but the, other, but the other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace and formed a mob, started a riot in the city, and they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul. They rushed to Jason. Who Jason? Hey, Luke, we didn't tell us who that was. They rushed to Jason's house, whoever that guy is. Well, Jason's probably a, a Greek who came to faith and is, is offering hospitality to Paul and Silas. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. They respond in jealousy. They cannot outreason Paul. They cannot deny the power of the Spirit, so they form a mob. They go chasing after them, but they can't find Paul and Silas. So verse 6, but when they did not find him, they dragged Jason out and other believers before the city officials shouting. (laughs) Here's verse 6. These men, NIV, who have caused trouble all over the world 
have now come here. And Jason welcomed them into his house, and they are defying Caesar's decrees and saying, there is another king, one called Jesus. The NIV says, these have caused, have caused trouble all over the world, and now they're here. The older, older NIV versions and some other English translations, what they're trying to do is translate a euphemism in Greek. The New King James, King James, English Standard, Christian Standard Bible says it this way. These that have turned the world upside down have come here too. They have turned the world upside down. And now they're here. Now, the accusation was made up. It was, it was implying that they were intentionally stirring up political turmoil and sedition. They were accusing them of treason against Caesar. And that one might have stuck because they were saying, by the way, Jesus is king. But they were trying to incite a riot. They were trying to cause trouble. They were trying to throw mud at them. But their words were more true than they knew. These really were turning the world upside down. Or we might say they were turning the world upside right. They were. Because the world is already upside down. The world has been upside down since the fall. Because of sin, we are in an upside down world. Listen to the, the Living Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul summarizes the upside-down way of the world. He said, once you were under God's curse, doomed forever for your sins. That's upside-down. You went along with the crowd, the upside-down crowd. You were just like all the others, the upside-down others, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air, who is at work right now, in the hearts of those who are upside down. All of us used to be just as they are. Our lives expressing the evil within us. Doing every wicked thing that our passions or evil thoughts might lead us to do. We started out bad being born with evil natures. And we were under God's anger just like everyone else. You hear Paul? The world is upside down. People call good bad, bad good. They, they, think we, they, they think things that make sense are crazy, and they think that things are crazy, they prescribe as necessary. The world is nuts. Someone has broken into the store, took all the prize tags, and switched them. But in Christ, through the power of the gospel, the world is being turned upside right. Listen to Paul continue in verse 4. But God, who is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were spiritually dead and doomed in our sins, even though we were upside down, he gave us back our lives again when he raised Christ from the dead. Only by his undeserved favor have we been saved. And he lifted us up from the grave into glory with Christ. That's being turned upside right. Now we sit with him in heavenly realms, all because of what Christ Jesus did. The gospel turns an upside-down world upside right. But it starts with us. 
It starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with up with with it starts with what is upside down in your life. God loves you too much to let your life stay broken, to let your life stay upside down. If, you're, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're upside down in your own sin. But if you know Jesus and you're still walking through hard times, you've got some stuff busted and upside down in your life, he's still the one. If he can take us from the grave to glory, then there's nothing outside of his reach. There isn't anything that his hands can't do. There isn't anything upside down in your life that he can't turn upside right. The spirit-filled church starts with us, but we turn the world upside right. Jesus did. Everywhere he went, turned people upside right. They were deaf. They were blind. They were lame. They were sick. They were dead. Upside right. The early church did. Paul and Silas did. Countless others throughout history have reasoned from the scriptures and relied upon the Holy Spirit to go all over the world, turning it upside right. McKinney's are fixing to go back, looking for people and places that are upside down, reasoning from the scriptures. Relying upon the Spirit. Turning people one at a time. Churches one at a time. Nations one at a time. Do we believe that it's hopeless? Do we believe that the world is just on its way to hell in a handbasket? I don't even know what that, that means. But I don't really want to know. It's not my job to dismiss the world to hell in a handbasket. It's our job to turn an upside down world upside right. Listen to the rest of what they said. He said they, they've turned the whole world upside down. But now they've come here. Someone say now they've come here. Thessalonica, they said, oh, and now they and their message and that gospel and that spirit-filled church, now they've come here. And Thessalonica, they said, now they're here. This place is about to come under their influence. We, they worried, might also get turned upside right. And indeed, friends, they have come here. We have come here. This is our here. This is our now. And if ever there were a need, if ever there were a time for the Spirit-filled church to turn an upside-down world upside right, it's here and it's now. Our world in many ways is as upside-down as it ever has been. And only the power of the gospel can turn it upside right. How are we going to do that? Well, we won't do it. We won't do it by being woke. We won't do it by being afraid of being canceled. 
We won't do it by adopting the patterns and practices of an already upside down world. We won't change the world by conforming to it. There is no call, there is no anointing for us to be hip. For the last, I'm sure it's happened longer, but for my awareness, for the last 40 years, there's been a relentless pursuit of the hippification of the church. And we look around and it hasn't got us anywhere. There is, however, a call and there is, however, an anointing for a church to be holy. To be set apart and dedicated and consecrated and different. How will we turn the world upside right? We will reason from the scriptures. And we will rely upon the spirit. We will be people of the book. We will be committed to the scripture's truth and teaching. It's revelation of who God is and who we are and what Christ has done and how we should live because of it. And how we can live because of it. We will be faithful to the testimony of scripture about God's incomprehensible, immeasurable love for us. If his magnificent suffering on the cross and tremendous victory... From an empty grave. We will be faithful to proclaim the promise of the Holy Spirit. That Christianity is not just about trying harder. It's about giving Jesus my life. And him giving me his spirit. And there will be results. The word will work powerfully in all who believe what do you see upside down in our world what do you see upside down in our world it is our job to turn it upside right to reason from the scripture to rely upon the spirit this is our here. The only thing preventing us is two things. If we believe the world is too far gone or we are content with the way the world is. But if you will believe that God still has a plan and a purpose for an upside down world. And if you will refuse to be content with the brokenness in you and around you. Then I invite you to be a part of a spirit filled church. That is turning the world upside right. Let's stand. I see your glory covering the earth, Lord, just as the waters 
something's upside down in your life today if you don't know Jesus if you haven't asked Jesus to save you from your sin you cannot get more upside down than that we want to pray with you today you can ask Jesus to save you from your sin turn your whole life upside right you give him your life he gives you his spirit and if there's anything else upside down in your life, there isn't anything too far out of his reach. There isn't anything he doesn't care about and want to make right. So if I could have some of my prayer workers just stay down here at the front. We'll just wait for you. We'll take all the time that you need for prayer today. They'll just wait here. But I'm gonna, we're going to sing this chorus again. But I'm going to turn everybody loose. i got to bless you in Jesus' name. I encourage you to go from this house believing that God wants to use you to turn an upside-down world upside right. Where you go, we go. Be kind to someone on your way out. May the Lord bless you. Now, if you'd like to pray, let's wait. God bless you. If you need to go, have a fantastic day. I see forgiveness overtaking hatred, pride and prejudice now giving way to love. Replace with joy and gladness.